Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Today I have three very distinguished guests, uh, Brian Deary, David Johnston, and Paul Snow, all from Factum. And before we begin, uh, I want to give a disclaimer. So their views are not the views of Factum necessarily. It's their own personal views. And the reason I keep coming back to these guys again and again is they're all extremely knowledgeable. And I think they're going to give us some great insights today. We're going to be talking about the future of Bitcoin, what the devil is going on with it, forks, non-forks, Segwit, etc. So that's why we're all here today. So welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Great to be here. Good, Good to be here. here. All right, so um, let's start out, and uh, it's possible that Paul may be talking about Bitcoin Cash from his perspective, David may be talking about SegWit, Brian, Bitcoin Core, but then again, we may mix it up. But um, let's just give a state of what's going on. What, what are you guys seeing with Bitcoin right now, now that Bitcoin Cash has been alive for several weeks, it looks like it's surviving so far. What do you see is happening, and where are we going with everything? David, you wrote about this way back when in 2016. Would you like to lead off? Sure. Um, I'm very much a proponent of open markets and competition. So I think it's really healthy that we have multiple uh, competing versions of Bitcoin coming into the ecosystem. And so I started blogging about this uh, last October and titled my uh, blog, Embrace the Coming Bitcoin Fork, which Mm -hmm. is... uh, you know, not a uh, popular view at the time, but I made the argument that, hey, we saw what happened with Ethereum, and it served as a means for their community to um, sort of come to a conclusion of a very contentious issue. And when you had Ethereum and Ethereum Classic uh, split, you know, it in fact increased the number of developers and people participating in the community. Folks like Charles Hoskinson, who had stepped away from Ethereum, uh, got very passionate about Ethereum Classic, and they're glad to see him jumping back in and making contributions to that ecosystem. So I basically argued, hey, uh, this can be a positive thing. It can be a way to conclude uh, these type of contentious issues. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that. Yeah, except that it was never necessary. We, we, we already had Litecoin. We already had Ethereum. We already had Ripple, BitShares, uh, Monero, Dash. We already had all these other alternatives for making payments and uh, did we need yet another one? Did we need uh, Bitcoin Cash? Uh, it's very hard to say. Um, so 
I mean, I guess perhaps going to the spirit of what you said, we already had competition. And if I go look at the Bitcoin dominance, I can see it anywhere. I've seen it anywhere from 35%, maybe lower, um, to over 50% uh, a couple of weeks ago. And um, basically that's saying that more than half of the ecosystem is something else already. So we've already had this competition. I, I don't know that we need to have Bitcoin Cash. David, I think you may have hit the nail on the head, though. So to me, this seems more about community and more about groups of people all pulling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. So we've had uh, Bitcoin all basically pulling in the same direction. We've had, um, er- in the early days, kind of a truce between the people who were had the different visions of, of how Bitcoin went forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of come to a head at this point. And the, the SegWit2x was a way of keeping these two diametrically opposed communities together. Um, but if Bitcoin Cash has basically been embraced at this point, from my uh, perceptions, um, by one of, the, uh, one of the factions. And at this point, now there's not really a... Uh, an agreement uh, to be held together in in the two X. So you've got the uh, the Bitcoin core following community, which is um, very adamant against uh, hurried and rushed and um, experimental uh, changes happening on the the, the main network. Um, I mean, this is something that we're we're seeing in, in Bitcoin Cash that was kind of an experiment which has turned into uh, at this point we're in the second um, flurry of, of blocks from the um, uh, emergency difficulty adjustment uh, system um, where they basically disabled a critical security parameter of Bitcoin in order to allow this community to be able to express itself through the network um, it needed to be made useful in the face of uh, a severe lack of, of hash power. So well, a lot of people aren't going to necessarily understand that. So sure. one of the things to keep in mind is the difficulty is adjusted every two weeks. Only two weeks is defined as two weeks of 10 minute blocks. If you lose hash power, so that let's say you only have half as much hash power. Now it's 20 minute blocks on average and your two weeks has now become four weeks. And then there's a cap on how much you can uh, downwardly adjust the hash power by 25%. So I can in, I can scale that hash power down 25%, which means that in, after I've waited four weeks, I don't get all the way back to... Uh, 10 minute blocks, I get back to 15 minute blocks or something. I haven't done the math. And the reason why I call this a critical security parameter <coughs> is because this protects people who are isolated uh, from the rest of the internet. Well, yes, I, I, I'm not arguing about the security yeah. parameter. I wanted to explain why Bitcoin Cash had to adjust this parameter because when they forked off from Bitcoin, they did not bring 
all the hash power with them. Mm-hmm. And so left to Bitcoin as design, your security parameter, it's very difficult to fork because one side of the argument or the other will have all the hash, hash power and the losing side, the minor fork, simply doesn't progress forward because the difficulty stalls them. The difficulty can't be adjusted very quickly. The miners don't find it profitable to mine. They abandon the miner fork and it just dies. But this is looking at it from too technical a perspective. So back to David's argument, there's a community here. And so the community doesn't need to have a, a fully functioning blockchain while during the period where it's garnering enough uh, hash power and readjusting itself to get back to the usable state. Right, and that's why the community was happy with changing this parameter. They wouldn't necessarily, I don't know, I haven't looked at it that deep, they wouldn't necessarily want to have that parameter permanently able to deal with just vast drops of hash power because that means that the Bitcoin cash can be easily forked yet again and maybe again and maybe again and that would just be worthless. Right. So can you, can you interject and bring us back in a different direction? Sure. Sure. Paul, well, what you were saying about, you know, there's there are all these other tokens already. Why now is this a big deal? I think it's tied up in the name. There's been a big fight and people screaming, don't call it Bitcoin Cash, call it Bcash. And I think one of the final prizes that Bitcoin has is its, its name and its market dominance because of its name. And I think that all these potential forks and things like that, the, the biggest problem would be forking away that name, rest of control of what's called Bitcoin. Yeah, Your except comments that, on that. Yeah, except nobody owns the trademark. So there's no one that has standing in courts to stop people from calling whatever they want to call Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And so the project gets to name themselves and the detractors get to call them Bcash if they want. But unfortunately for the detractors, somebody else decided to actually launch a Bcash, which isn't Bitcoin Cash. And so now you're, you're left with ambiguity. Uh, you have a project that claims to call themselves Bitcoin Cash. You have the core supporters who want to call it Bcash. And you've got some third party that came along to launch a new token that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, and they're calling it Bcash. It's a fork of uh, Zcash. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is it yeah. really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to build on, on what you're saying, Brian. I agree it's absolutely about communities. And I think what we're seeing here is there are three distinct communities. First, there are those um, that absolutely are ardently opposed to SegWit for whatever reason. They believe it's different from the original uh, vision of Bitcoin. And so that's a distinct community that created Bitcoin Cash. And then you've got a community that's very dedicated to avoiding hard forks, taking uh, what they see as risky behavior. And I would say that's the Bitcoin core folks. Um, But there's another community that people don't talk about. And I, I believe... When Eric Voorhees and others say this is the silent majority, I would agree. Uh, because just to make myself clear, I'm in favor, favor of SegWit. I see no big technical reason it shouldn't be embraced. I'm in favor of bigger blocks. I see no strong arguments that they shouldn't be embraced. 
I'm in favor of the Lightning Network, and I'm in favor of second layer solutions. So I think all four of these things are needed in order to scale Bitcoin. And what I would say, what we saw with the New York Agreement and many of the businesses and other entities that you know promote Bitcoin is they're like, Segwit, yes, larger blocks, yes, we would like both of these things. And I so I think what we're going to see is there's a large portion of the community that's happy with both of them. And if it benefits them with lower fees and faster transactions, that's the functional effect that they're happy to see. And they're not as emotionally or ideologically consumed with one particular solution being the all, be all, end all. Yeah, they're in, but they're not. They're not Bitcoin Cash, and they're not you know small blocks forever and ever and ever. Exactly. And 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 if you sit back and you look at why. Who are these people? A lot of these people are payment processors. Yeah. And to get back to your idea about name, they want it to be Bitcoin. They don't really want it to be Bitcoin Prime or Bitcoin Double Prime or, you know, Bitcoin uh, Episode 3. Or Bitcoin Dark, which has been around for (coughs) several years. Oh, yeah. Actually, somebody has a post up there where they clicked on some exchange and they search for Bitcoin, and they show the, the six or eight or nine things that have Bitcoin in them uh, now. So, so the name is going to be tough. And I mean, there's a fight over the name, and that's that is absolutely true. Um, but to get back to this middle party, they have businesses that need Bitcoin transactions. Do they need to be Lightning transactions? No. Do they need to be on-chain transactions? No. They don't. They could be they could be um, off chain inside of Coinbase transactions or between Coinbase and, and BitPay transactions or any other set of parties where you you're doing all kinds of settlement that's not on the blockchain. They don't care. They just need Bitcoin transactions, and so they are looking at like you said, Segwit, yes, Big Blocks, yes. They're they're not they're just saying yes to all this stuff. And to some people, in, for instance, in core, they're horrified that people would just say yes to any idea that comes across the table, right? Because they want to really, really focus on all the security and everything else. Decentralization is a big concern with them. They don't want corporate coin. This is something that I've seen <laughs> quite a bit. And I'm like, what is corporate coin? I mean, are we really saying that Bitcoin should not be used in any business? I don't think so, because most of these people actually are employed, uh, or at least some of them are employed. Um, so they, we can't be totally against any corporation. So, you know, it becomes a question of balances, gives and takes. And there is this group that isn't that worried about the dogma. And that is the eventual future of Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was designed such that whoever is the most powerful in the system can wrest control away from the the less powerful. That's true. And and so this idea that Bitcoin is being taken over, right? Because that's another thing. This is a takeover. Takeover from core, takeover from whatever. And and the disenfranchised whichever side of the argument you're on, is very upset. 
And it's just a matter of timing. So is it a matter of years or decades? So that's more the question. Yeah, and see, I will also say about this middle guy, they they would love lightning networks, but they don't see lightning networks on the horizon. I I believe the lightning, lightning networks are an incredibly good idea, but I see some very, very real barriers to deploying them. If there's real barriers to deploying the lightning networks, then what do you do in the meantime? Well, if your belief is the only thing you do with Bitcoin is you buy it and you hold it, and that's it, that you, you, that's your use case, then you're may, you may not be sympathetic to someone who wants to buy tennis shoes from Overstock or kitchen towels, whatever you buy from Overstock. Might not be interested, you know, might not be interested in supporting that use case. Why do you think the groups are so pissy about it and so vehemently opposed to one sort of thing? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to the brand that Paul was talking about. I mean, each group believes they are the one true Bitcoin. All will reference Satoshi in different quotes and say, Satoshi defined this as electronically signed signatures. And if we move away from that, you know, in full full signatures, and that's a betrayal of, of the you know, what Satoshi set up. And so they each see themselves as the Bitcoin community. And that's the pushback that all of those folks would give to, well, there's Dash and other things. They're like, no, I'm a Bitcoiner. This is my community. I've been here for years. And they feel real ownership of that brand and of that identity. Or at least membership. Right. At least membership. Right. So I think I think that's why it's so contentious. This whole question of, well, how do you define Bitcoin has come up the last few weeks. And people are putting forth different definitions. You know, uh, Eric Voorhees said, you know, whatever has the highest hash power, highest proof of work cumulative over time, and whichever has the highest market cap, I'm going to call that Bitcoin, whether it's Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin Segwit 2X or whether it's Bitcoin Core, right? And that ought to be the determiner, right? And Satoshi made quotes about the longest chain and proof of work and other things like that. But then others are like, no, 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 it's it's a set of consensus rules. And if it doesn't follow that, then it doesn't fit Bitcoin. So I think they're fundamentally different definitions. So what is a consensus rule? Right. Okay. Because a lot of people looked at the one megabyte limit and the soft limits that we lived with for a long time as merely being anti-spam um, and anti, you know, mechanisms to avoid attacks, uh, flooding the network, making you know blocks that were unreasonably too big. Um, but is that a consensus rule? Now, I, you know, I, heaven forbid anyone from Bitcoin Core would listen to me question such a thing. Uh, but it's only realistic to understand that a lot of the community doesn't see that as a consensus rule. Because if I took my wallets and if I built a node and it just simply ignored the block size limit, it would work fine. It would work perfectly well. Why? Because all the miners care about the block size. And they're not mining blocks with significant work proof of work that break this rule. Therefore, my node in my house, if it doesn't care about this rule, 
is never going to get fooled as long as the majority of the hash power follows this rule. And so... <laughs> so I would guess uh, of the hundred or so odd people that uh, they reference as uh, core contributors, I guess in some trivial way, I'm one of those people having a merge commit in, in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. But um, only trivially. But uh, to me, the consensus rules are a cartel agreement. So cartels are always very contentious, or they tend to be, uh, but this is a cartel agreement that you cannot break. Um, so you can break it. And you would get ignored. So only in, if, in an oil cartel only or something... Only if most of the hash power cares to ignore you. But see, pick any rule. If I want to blackball an address... As long as most of the hash power decides that you should blackball a particular address in Bitcoin, like let's say uh, we figure figure out that all of the Mt. Gox stolen tokens are sitting in address A, and all the miners agree A will never be spent. We will we he stole it. We don't like him. We'll never let him move. Those bitcoins and it's just a matter of time until a different set of miners come in and start. Yeah, but as long as the cartel holds, as long as the, the, the agreement holds amongst the highest hash power, any minor uh, miner is in with, not the major, <laughs> but minor, uh, minor, uh, God, that's confusing. Let's say any tiny miner, okay, is not going to be able to mine a block with a transaction that includes A as an input, because everyone else is going to um, blackball it, and he his block will get orphaned in for a few years until a new set of well, people who don't. But as long that. as the fear is there, it becomes self-enforcing, because there's every reason in the world for miners to respect the rule if that hurts a competitor. And it's very easy to abide by the rule. Therefore, is there any game theory that without the miners agreeing that they will now let A be spent, is there any game theory to, for that rule to ever come out of the miners' minds if money it gets established? Well, but that's exactly why you don't do it. Unless the, unless the fee on A is really, really big. Well, this, this is interesting. This sounds to me like the, the the greatest lever that governments around the world could have is against the miners. You know, if you mine in my country, I want you to blackball this address. You will do it. Otherwise, you don't mine in my country. So it seems like that's it's a it's a port of influence for for nation states. It, it, it could be, except that it's really tough um, because miners still can look very very anonymous. Um, on the blockchain because basically the thing that ties them is the address that you pay to and there's nothing that keeps them from just cycling new addresses on every block and so when they get a reward it becomes a matter of tracking down who actually is spending that token you can do it so I've argued on the last podcast I was on that um, that that Eventually, nation states would get into this business. There was a rumor a couple weeks ago about um, Russia, North Korea, uh, trying to mine bitcoins to get some some hard cash. And uh-huh. 
So, so let's say that North Korea starts getting all this, uh, all these bitcoins. Now they're setting Bitcoin policy. There are going to be a lot of people around the world who are uncomfortable with North, um, North Korea setting Bitcoin policy and will encourage um, the people that they pay taxes to to dam up some rivers and uh, steer Bitcoin network policy to help their own citizens. Well, that's an, and, and Russia also announced that they were going to invest in the mining. So there, there are these Russia, these nation states, and the question becomes: What happens? You know, we have contention between Bitcoin Core, Segwit, uh, Bitcoin Cash. What happens when those arguments start being made by North Korea, Russia, Israel, the U.S.? I would conjecture that the the people who that we find on the other sides of this debate uh, in five or ten years are going to be the, the good old guys who are the, down there in the trenches with us uh, when the big boys start coming in and start pushing around uh, Bitcoin network policy. Well, maybe that's where the rest of the crypto space comes in because if... If Bitcoin begins to be dominated by nation states, then where where do you go? Well, it turns out that we do have these other alternatives, and and maybe we spin off yet another Bitcoin with a uh, different proof of work um, and uh, try to manage to keep it independent, but I, I don't know. But I do want to bring it back to the practical a little bit, because in order to get to that future state of having worldwide adoption and usage, um, I think one of the reasons that uh, Bitcoin SegWit 2X is still very important is because I don't believe one scaling solution alone is going to do it. As we've seen, SegWit has, has just activated. Hooray! It's it's here, uh, which which is great. But what people don't account for is its effects will only come in over time as people create SegWit addresses, as they move money to those SegWit addresses, and then eventually when they move them from those addresses, you'll get a reduction in the size of the signature. But until that point, there'll be a huge lag that may be months or even years where legacy addresses are converted into this new format. And because of that, I see no substantial difference in the backlog of the mempool. I see no substantial difference in uh, the short-term fees being reduced. And so I think the community that wants SegWit but also wants 2x is a means of alleviating some of that backlog. In the meantime, while we're waiting for SegWit to come into full effect, while we're waiting for the Lightning Network to Paul's point, and we're waiting for second layer solutions. So I, I see it as a very practical middle ground that's very attractive to these businesses and folks that are involved in the New York agreement because, hey, this gets us further down the line. And yes, we want these things, but these things all take time to get implemented and really roll out. So I would react strongly in, for those that are, are moving against the uh, 2x part of the Segwit 2x proposal to say, you know, this is really a practical compromise that, as you said, brings back together the communities that were opposed and could potentially keep them together. But it seems that there's a strong movement in this third community around Bitcoin Core that won't embrace any hard fork. And so we're likely to end up with three versions. Of Do you think that the that the Bitcoin Cash community would 
abandon Bitcoin Cash at this point to come back? No, I think they're, they're a separate community that isn't willing, for whatever reason, to accept SegWit. And so I don't think there's a possibility of them coming back. They're their own thing. And and honestly, if if, if Bitcoin are they not doesn't implement SegWit they? 2x and, you know, fees continue to rise, say they get to $10, $20, $100 fees... This is really going to slow down adoption of Bitcoin, and it'll put pressure on people to move to Bitcoin Cash. So are they not accepting SegWit, or are they embracing ASIC Boost? I don't think most people in that community really care about the ASIC Boost uh, discussion or, or, or the aspects. I think they care practically about our larger blocks, and they see this as an avenue where they don't believe they'll be implemented on uh, legacy Bitcoin chain, and so therefore they're going to go ahead and move over, which I was honestly surprised at the size of the Bitcoin Cash community. I didn't think uh, there would be 10 or 15% of the value. You know, we see a $10 billion market cap versus $60 billion market cap has landed there, and I, I expected I, I guess, more people to wait I guess for November. I guess 10%. Yeah, that's, what it, that's what Ethereum Classic did? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good reason to think that Bitcoin Cash would hold 10%. Mm-hmm. But it was the best guess I had. It was the only <laughs> model I had. And here, it's and 15, here it is. Yeah. 15. Well, it, it's bounced around. It's sure. been below and it's been above. And, and I think it's kind of faded, faded in some sense to be about 10%. Now, that kind of blows the idea that this is really motivated by a sick boost because it's a tiny percent of the market relative to Bitcoin. In other words, who who tries to protect their interest in a technology by yielding 90% of the market? You know, you know what's interesting is I don't even know if there is a Bitcoin cash community. It looks like it was almost a solo actor that said, all right, I'd buy a BTC, we're doing this. And then I think people just jumped on for speculation reasons. I don't think that there's even a community around it. I think they're like, hey, there's money here. We'll go uh, hang out here. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, we've seen a, a big bifurcation, and this is something that I highlighted in my blog post. We've seen a bifurcation um, of the communication channels uh, because of either real or perceived uh, censorship on the part of our Bitcoin and Bitcoin talk, where people, at least about 20% of the Reddit users anyway, have moved to our BTC. And expressed, you know, views of bigger blocks and being very open to that. Um, and so I think there is certainly a user community there. You're right. They basically gotten a couple of miners that were very dedicated to it and did it even when it wasn't profitable. Right. A lot of people jumped in when it got profitable. But before that, there was this group that was willing to do it, you know, at less profitability um, and there were lots of exchanges that lined up very quickly. You know, five or six exchanges immediately announced they'd support Bitcoin Cash. So I think any community that has a few miners, a few exchanges, and a dedicated uh, group of people that see a particular philosophy will absolutely stick around. You know, you know what's weird too is if you look at all the tokens out there, very few of them all of a sudden appear on CoinCat near the top, and all of a sudden appear on these uh, you know these widgets on websites and are supported by all the major exchanges. And it, you know, it was taken on pretty quick. It's weird. It seemed to have gravitas far behind, far above any other coin. I think just because of the name. Well, no, it's because of the inaction bias. So if, 
So pretty much everyone who had uh, bitcoins now has the Bitcoin Cash, and and in pers- and and in ratio to their holdings. Exactly. So if you had a whole lot of Bitcoin, you whether you liked it or not, you're suddenly invested in Bitcoin Cash, hmm. and you're contributing to that market cap. And if you do nothing, you're continuing to contribute to that market cap. And the day after Bitcoin Cash went live, Bitcoin, if I combine the two, went over five grand. Because I take what Bitcoin's price was and I add it to Bitcoin Cash, which I had both tokens, I'm at over $5,000. And and now, you know, we're still there. We're still hovering around five grand. So, so that was a big boost in value. It's very hard to ignore. Right. And you can trade it. And I, I think you're fair to bring up the uh, inaction bias because I was looking at some of the volumes. And if you add up all the volumes uh, that are flowing through the exchanges of people trading Bitcoin and quote unquote dumping it uh, to get rid of their, their Bitcoin cash or vice versa, it's only a few percent because you have to be in a group that have heard about this, have an opinion on it, actually take the time and energy to take action as opposed to just sitting on what you got, right? And so there hasn't been huge moves as a percentage of the total supply. Well, most of my Bitcoin is sitting on paper wallets. Right. I'm not going into my safe or in my uh, nuclear submarine or in the Fortress of Solitude or wherever I happen to keep my paper wallets and, and break those addresses up just to grab Bitcoin Cash. Just... You know, there's got to be a lot of people like me that, that would rather just hold it all, right. knowing that they're holding it all. Knowing that it. it might go away or it might become the new Bitcoin. Who knows? I don't know, but I'm equally invested in both. Yep. I held all of mine of both. That's what I did when Ethereum and Ethereum class happened. And I think a lot of people are in that, in that boat, which I think is part of why this, this November event may be, uh, to your question, very contentious because People are, again, fighting over the Bitcoin brand. And well, that one's going to be very different. Oh, yeah. It's going to be different as long as SegWit 2 does not put in uh, protections from replay attacks. Mm-hmm. Then you're effective, there, it's effectively an attempt to bend the main chain in any direction. And if they really do have all the mining hash power, which, you know, people will argue just because the miners are signaling doesn't mean that they're necessarily on board, okay? And there's an action bias there. They actually have to update their miners to be on board, and there's nothing that says that they've done that, okay? So, but if they do, let's say SegWit 2, two scenarios, SegWit 2, three scenarios, SegWit 2, has 95% of the hash power. Bitcoin Core dies. The other... The well, that's other the thing. Dies. That's the thing, though. So, it it still has a, a very rabid community. So, you've got... Um, what do rabbits have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, we, we've been talking about the inaction bias and the, the moderates. So, the, the people who are advocating for 2x are the moderate Bitcoiners. They want to keep everyone together. They're not going to rock the boat. They're going to do what we've done and basically just held on to both sides of the chain. 
the people who are supporting core are not moderates. Well, no. They're moderates in a different way. They're moderates in a different way. Uh, um, they're extreme moderates. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they're moderates in moderation. <laughs> Go ahead. So, uh, there's a much higher likelihood that they will uh, dump their 2x coins uh, as, as rapidly as possible. And by what? More bitcoins. How? So, See, if you can't get any transactions on the bitcoin network, you might be able to buy it onto an exchange. Yeah. But this is also against core, so to speak, We've got, we've got ideas. three months to, to plan for this. Yeah, but they can't. They don't, they don't get, even if they had three, maybe they six months. It's the time after the fork that matters. So they dump their Segwit2 coin into Bitcoin on an exchange. Mm-hmm. But now Bitcoin itself gets a block, let's say, every four hours. That's fine. How do they get any transactions into the block? They want they it are really- a whopping fee. But how many core people are there? They, I mean, they, they literally they, they can't get many transactions in. And then what's the value? Well, they can get their 2x transactions in to dump them real quick. Yes, they can dump them into an exchange, but then they're left with Bitcoin on an exchange with very little way to get it off. It's okay. And if you don't own your private key, you don't own your Bitcoin. It'll work out eventually. Eventually. But you put the core people... See, I could list all of the things. If if if, if 95% of the hash power does not go with core, I don't see much avenue for them to maintain the chain. I think they lose hash power. They lose mining power. Uh, but they still have this community. I'm going to side with Brian on this because I think, <clears throat> let's call it 10%. I think they may end up at a similar proportion to what we saw with Bitcoin Cash, right? It's people at the two ends of the different spectrum. But I think the camps actually might be similar in size. And so let's say 10% of the hash power is willing to go to that side. And even if it's a block every few hours, if they're dedicated enough, they'll hang on with You're their talking, really high fees. talking two years. Yeah. Now, yeah. the fees aren't high if the value crashes. And so the value crashes... Let's say it's 10%. Let's say it's the 10. value crashes to the point that it becomes... There becomes no demand put transactions on that chain, then it works. And but you're left you're left with something that's not even in the billionaire club. You're 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 left looking up at Monero or Dash. You know, I mean really, seriously, I, I this is a worst case scenario. It's case number one. Case number two, 50-50. One second before you get to that, I think I think the biggest loss if this happens, if let's say ninety five percent go with Segwit two X, they may keep you know they may end up having what's called Core Coin or a Bitcoin Classic, but they're not going to keep the name. I think the market is going to go with whoever is the dominant you know branch there, and that's where the name will go. And anyone else that gets anything else is going to be left with bones to gnaw on. And there you go. You heretic. <laughs> you heretic. <laughs> that's what Give, give me a steak and a match. <laughs> there, you know, uh, there are, and, it, and, and seriously, there will be a lot of people 
that really, really get upset. And, and but Bitcoin Core, I guess we'll, we'll put one other observation that everybody has made. Their survival, the way they survive, is they go and change the difficulty adjustment via a hard fork. Right. So that their their side can continue, can go forward. So the very thing that they are objecting to is what they would have to do to serve to keep the coin alive. Yeah, that's become what they most hate. Well, it becomes an emergency hard fork. Yeah. All of Bitcoin Core has constantly said an emergency hard fork is okay. You have to do something to save the protocol like they've done when somebody figured out the exploit to get a billion Bitcoins back in the back in the day. Well, they pushed up emergency hard fork when they soft fork but you know. well it was a bit of a different developer group at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah it was a soft fork I don't think so no I thought it was a hard fork it was a soft fork it wasn't contentious let's put it that way no it wasn't contentious but I think they actually had to change the code they did in a non-compatible way yeah it was, it was no it might have been backward compatible yeah. in which case it's technically a soft fork yeah so Anyway, fair enough. Fair enough. But if I, I, I'm expecting that the largest group will be Segwit 2x, and I think it's because it's of these things we've talked about with the inaction bias, and I think it's because that's the group that um, is willing to accept multiple solutions. And so we'll see. It'll be really fascinating come November. We have a block height now. Well, what about 50 See, 50-50 is a scenario to think about because both chains can run, mm-hmm. but now replay attacks are real. Well, let's think about the well, The latest on that, though, is, is uh, BTC1, right? The implementation of SegwitX uh, 2X has announced opt-in replay protection. So you would have to take an action if you wanted to activate that, but they're not doing it by default, is my understanding. That's only for a standard transaction, which means if the replays, if the miner wants to, they can put it in the block, no problem. So that's kind of a false uh, assurance. One of the more interesting discussions I've, I've seen is is which is most appropriate, things that are by default or things that are opt-in. And personally, from you know uh, a philosophical perspective, I'm more a fan of the things that are, are opt-in uh, when it comes to, to changes. And so you know, that is, you know, as you say, a hard fork where there's something incompatible and you have to opt into it. Um, but I, I thought, and I, I tweeted this out recently, I thought there was a really thoughtful post on the difference uh, philosophically between a hard fork and a soft fork. And really the article made the argument that morally speaking, you know, we should only, uh, you know, we shouldn't be forcing people into a chain by default, but rather it's preferable if they opt in then you have real consent. But, yeah, you know. It, it, but that doesn't work. Because, you know, it, 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 the when, if a soft fork is dominant, like, for instance, SegWit. SegWit looks like a spin-to-anyone transaction to old code. Mm-hmm. But a miner that isn't validating SegWit transactions, all somebody has to do is feed him a few invalid transactions and the blocks that he mines will be rejected by the network, which is paying attention to SegWit. So, is he really opting in the SegWit? No. 
he is either going to support Segwit or he's not going to mine. So there's not really a choice. And furthermore, full nodes that are validating transactions, they have to have SegWit to validate the signatures. If they don't have SegWit, then they think everything is Pollyanna right, and they have no possibility of knowing whether a transaction submitted to them is valid and and, and should be passed along. Well, so. It'll be interesting to see what happens in November because now we're in a situation with this next fork where both communities involved believe in SegWit. And the only difference will be whether which ones uh, validate blocks over one megabytes. Do they believe in SegWit core or do they just magically now have to believe in it because it's here? I thought they didn't believe in it. Um, I think, no, again, there's the, the, yeah. the, the SegWit 2X folks. I, I think they, they, they're all SegWit guys. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I it's think in people, the name. Yeah. Yeah, it's right there. SegWit. <laughs> it's the first thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and no, I think that's really important because there was a gap in trust in the community for a very long time where people were afraid, you know, oh, if we activate SegWit, how do we know if the second part will get activated? And there was this distrust part of why I think it took so long come to a consensus, and so by bringing the two together and saying we're going to do them both together, that gave people confidence. We finally got SegWit over the signaling requirement, right? Right, which I thought was you know a really impossible, a high barrier, ninety five percent. They got to a hundred percent because lots of miners and lots of people said yes. That if we do them together, then we're on board. And so I don't see those people changing their. What minds. about the argument that it was yeah. user activated soft forks that made because that that is well, I think that came around because of Segwit two X. Segwit two X predated that movement, that entire push. Did it? Yeah, and which, and in turn, there was a movement in response to uh, the software folks that said we're going to activate it now before the date that they've published. Like this was a series of events. Yeah, first it was the NY the New York agreement, and then there was a push by a lot of folks to do uh, unilateral soft work. And right. then there was the, the then there was the push to, well, if they're going to do it at first, we're going to activate it before the first, and we're going to put SegWit into place, and so it'll nullify this change. That was that was the series of events. Mm-hmm. And so I very Is that much your, get, your memory? I very much give credit to Jeff for, for helping bring this bring this thing Ooh. together. Jeff Garzik really oh. with his proposal for SegWit X2 and the implementation of BTC1 in order to bring all this to a head, I, I give him credit for, for getting us there. Here, no here, good deed goes David, punished. I know, right? David, here's some bar soap. Wash your mouth out, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean, this is, this is one of the things that has been kind of the nature of this argument is, is the um, high level of personal animosity mm. between people who I have talked to, met, they're all decent people with very, very, very different ideas. I mean, uh, Luke Jr., for example, the, the name that tends to come up when, when people think about animosity, is a very, very nice guy. And, and he's just very um, dogmatic about uh, various things in Bitcoin. And he's not 
always wrong. Um, he he is he, his analysis. I mean, if you go look at some of the analysis of code that he's done, even that he did on Bitcoin Cash, hmm. he was it was good work. It was good analysis, and and he wasn't wrong. Um, but uh, the animosity between people. And even the animosity between different camps and different philosophies has gotten to the point where people can't talk. Honestly, I'm hoping that these forks will generally bring some of that to an end. Because we saw it come to an end, to a certain degree, with Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. When they were able to go their own ways, they were able to focus on what they wanted to do. And I haven't seen the level of animosity over there that I've seen in the Bitcoin community. And so I'm hoping with this final separation in November, we can get back to a world in which the people that are true believers of Bitcoin Cash are pushing merchant adoption and low-fee transaction uh, use cases. And the folks that believe, honestly, in Bitcoin Gold, that you just buy it and hold it, that's the use case that they can sit on their Bitcoin and they can promote more people to buy and hold it. And that the people that are merchants and the folks in the middle that want this as a business tool that's going to do both, but they're pushing that and we can get past some dishonomosity because I truly believe politics are toxic. And we've had politics in this industry because we've had no means of solving this conflict. I truly believe forks are a feature, not a bug of this industry. We ought to embrace them to solve that animosity. And I would say that politics are basically the entire future of Bitcoin. That it's going to come down to uh, politics by um, by war at some point. Oh, but <laughs> thank you for that cheery, cheery thought. I like the happy guy. <laughs> I am the pessimist here. Yeah, yeah, you are the pessimist. No, I mean, I I don't know what how I would summarize this. I I. Yeah. We didn't get through all three scenarios because there is the scenario where SegWit2x doesn't get as much hash power as Bitcoin Core. And in that case, I think SegWit goes the Bitcoin Cash way, puts in re- real replay um, guards and it and, and a difficulty adjustment and carries on. Um, so the only the only scenario that I am really worried, worried about is the 50-50 scenario where there's a war and there's no... There's there's no um, clear consensus driven solution. There's a worse scenario. So that um, so think about who is behind the uh, the two backs. So you've got large miners who some of which want to preserve ASIC boost. Uh, they Maybe. also likely that. want to dislodge core from uh, from control of the network. That so, I think is really low. But anyway, I'm just sorry I should shut yeah, up yeah. and let you talk. So by promoting the the 2x aspect of it, they will effectively oust core from the SegWit or SegWit 2x um, or from there. Um, and then if they pull out and go to Bitcoin Cash, it'll be total chaos um, in between 2x and and uh, core. Well, I'll just say I have full faith that the market will decide. That is a scary scenario, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I know I interrupted. I, but that's a scary scenario. Because that's, that's a scenario where the manipulation 
of the two camps actually has a endpoint that uh, it's it, a dynamic system, not a static system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a scary scary scenario. Well, I'm confident the marker will decide, and people will make their own decision. The thing I love about this space is you can opt in or opt out of any system, and uh, you know I'm going to be holding all three. So, we'll see what happens. I think one last thing to mention is um, <clears throat> 20 years ago, the internet seemed like its own world, and it wasn't a part of the quote-unquote real world. And I watched them merge legally, socially, politically, and everything. Same thing I see happening with tokens, but it's much, much faster. <laughs> and I think regulation um, and the interest of nation-states are really going to squeeze everything into a channel of you know, if it's going to be widely adopted, Bitcoin or whatever other tokens, they're going to have to get much closer to what our current systems allow regulation-wise. And I think that's going to kind of pressure this whole, and shape how this all develops. Yeah, I, I, that's, I see it the other direction. That, that's as, almost as grim <laughs> as his uh, scenario of, uh, of a minor takeover of the system by leaking. Yeah, the big, I, I think the legacy systems, to a great degree, are going to have to adopt this new reality. I think that's the thing I've seen from the Internet is all those existing business models that existed pre-Internet, they all of a sudden they had to live in a world in which distribution was free and there weren't as many... Uh, central points of control, and all of a sudden, things like the network became much more important uh, to a point Brian normally makes uh, than the hierarchy. Right? We lived in a society where television signals were controlled by few numbers. You had the few broadcasting to the many, and now we've got this new dynamic where it's the many broadcasting to the many. Right? But you so, still have dominant players like Google and Facebook, and- to yeah. an extent. But how much do they put the thumb on the scale? I, I'm allowed to have all these accounts and. I have different opinions, and for the most part, you know, folks are, are left to their opinions. So I, I do think, too, math, the, the math behind uh, the blockchain, uh, creating cryptographic uh, audit trails and whatnot, are likely to have a big impact on government and on regulations. And they, if we get to the point where we're regulating less and prosecuting for bad behavior more because there's more cryptographic proof of bad behavior. Uh, I mean, please understand, the whole point of regulation really is how do I figure out that there is a possibility of bad behavior here and, and eliminate it before it occurs, right? But if the bad behavior cannot be hidden, then you can get away with a lot less regulation and more slapping people for bad behavior after the fact. And the people that are like most likely to offend know they're going on record as they offend. So do you really need as much regulation in a world where you can catch offenders? And, and I'm going to claim that, 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 um, the blockchain and Bitcoin and a lot of these things are going to reduce regulation eventually because it makes it easier to catch offenders when they have to go on record. And the, and the number one guy I want to put on record is the government. You know, the CIA, um, uh, the NSA, 
Homeland Security. Um, if if they are on record with what they're doing, in a way they can't hide it later after the fact when their behavior is under review, then they know that in the moment, and they can. And so, without compromising our ability to keep secrets in the moment and without compromising our ability to act in the best interest of our country, we can still hold prior, in a prior world, untouchable characters. We can hold them accountable. And I think that's a, that is a good scenario behind the cryptocurrency and, and I hope is the one that, that plays out. I hope. So not yet. And my response to that would be that um, so when the world goes to more of a uh, crypto world where you so the reason why we worry about these um, the this, these regulations is because they're at choke points right now. So we've got Coinbase who's kowtowing to the regulators trying to get their doors oh, no. from getting kicked in. Well, let's give them credit. They fought the regulators from getting kicked in. They didn't push back. They, then they will continue to. Yes. Uh, Plonyx, those guys can be found and um, they have to... So once we get to a world of decentralized exchanges and then once people start getting paid in cryptocurrencies... So, for example, one of the Bitcoin.com companies, blockchain.info... They pay all their employees in, in Bitcoin. There's no reason to, to have any banking or any uh, go through any choke points. So once that becomes more of how the world works, where these employees can then pay their bills and live their life, now we don't have to worry about these choke points. And the regulation kind of turns more into a self-regulation and a reputation-based system of yeah. uh, having mass protect you. That's where I'm hoping we're headed is we move more to decentralized systems and there are no custodians. And, you know, credit to Eric Voorhees and the Shapeshift team for what they've done uh, to remove the need for accounts when it comes to their exchange, right? They, they had an attack and no customers lost funds. Like, that's incredible. Like, they're the anti-Mount Docs, right? <laughs> and so by removing that custodianship, all of a sudden, to Paul's point, well, you don't need the regulation on them that you would on a custodian, right? And that's that's the outcome. So that's that's what I'm looking for. I hope that's what happens and it'll just move the choke points <laughs> in the way of progress. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.